0: Welcome to the Acts 13 Network podcast. My name is Dan Rose and I am the lead troublemaker here at the Acts 13 Network. We're glad you have decided to spend a little bit of time with us. What can you expect from this podcast? Well, hopefully, you will walk away from it learning to love well. That's our heart, that's our hope, that's our desire. We want to try to help people love well by hearing the words of Jesus, learning the works of Jesus, and following in the way of Jesus. So let's get on to this week's episode. All right, we are continuing in our study of the book of Acts. Today, we are going to be in Acts chapter 10, and this might be one of the most important chapters in the entire Bible. It is a critical turning point in our family story. There are a few places where you see things that is just radical, radical moments, and Acts chapter 10 is one of those places. So we're going to look at the whole chapter because it is one continuous story, but we're going to chunk it up and go bit by bit. So I'm not just reading for a long time, which might put a few of us to sleep. So we're going to begin here in Acts chapter one and verse 10, and it goes like this. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God fearing, and he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. All right. So uh, we start with this little bit of background and with this guy named Cornelius, who was a Roman centurion, and he was part of what was known as the Italian regiment. Now, we don't know much about this Italian regiment. We, We don't really know... What it was, we have no real records of it, uh, and um, and there is uh, there's no record of the Italian uh, regiment having been in Joppa. So there's just just not a lot of info. What we can assume is that it was comprised of people who were Italian. I know that's a shocker, right? But that's that's just kind of what we've got at this point. What a lot of scholars think is that Cornelius may have been retired. He was probably a retired military leaver, leader, and uh, and so we and, and so we get we get this little bit from him. Uh, now, one of the guys that he sent was a soldier. Uh, it was and, and he was a devout soldier, and so this guy might have been his personal assistant, like an attendant or a secretary. Uh, he was he was the guy that Cornelius probably sent for, you know, on his dispatches and, and did all those kinds of things. Um, so for me, uh, what this tells me is that in the words of the great theologian, Ron Burgundy, Cornelius was kind of a big deal. And uh, so uh, what we... What what else we learn about him is that he was a God fearer, uh, and so he was probably somebody uh, who may have converted to Judaism. At the very least, he was a believer in the God of the Church, the God of the Bible, uh, and that's that's what we know. Um, and so, what he saw in the Church was uh, that that he that, that he he, he he saw in the churches, that he wanted to help them. And he was somebody who had helped before. He was somebody who gave generously. He was somebody who prayed. And uh, so Cornelius was devout and his family was devout. He had led his family into a faith and a belief in the God of the Bible. And uh, and so then he has this vision, right? An angel shows up and we know it was an angel because, uh, you know, it, it uses... Uh, it uses this this phrase, um, you know that the Cornelius stared at him in fear, and uh, so this this fear thing tells us that it was definitely an angel. Because remember, angels uh, were not cute little chubby babies with wings and diapers; they were awe inspiring, and so he was afraid. And the angel gives him some instructions and gives him some guidance, guidance, and so. Uh, so that's, and so that's, you know, that Cornelius sends, sends out, uh, his servants and this devout soldier, uh, because he's going to do exactly what, what this, uh, angel has to say. So now we, we pick up the story here in verse nine about noon, the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Go get up. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to, this, to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guest. So, um, so you have, you have Peter, uh, he's, you know, we find out here, uh, that Peter was a good Jewish observant Jewish boy. Like he was just a, he was a good Jewish boy. He's never eaten anything unclean. And he has this vision where from what we can tell God or the spirit, probably not an angel because he wasn't afraid. Let's down this sheet. And it's covered with all of these animals and reptiles and birds. And Peter's response makes it seem as though everything that was on that sheet was unclean. Where, you know, there, there were things in the Old Testament law that were not to be eaten, right? And so maybe there were a whole bunch of pigs out there and you know, whatever else. Yeah, and and just all this unclean food. And the command is rise, kill, and eat. And Peter's like, oh heck no. I am holy. I am clean. I am kosher. I am not doing that. No way. And it happens three times. Three times. This 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 thing, like, you know, this is pretty symbolic. You know, this completion, this number of three, um, all that kind of stuff. You know, there's three days of the resurrection, three people um that uh yeah, there, there's just Three, three people—the Trinity. Three, like there's just there is three, three people on, you know, there's there's Jesus and the two guys on the cross. There's P, three people on the cross. There's three. Uh, Peter denies Jesus three times. Three is a big deal. It's not, and so it's this, so it's it's not like this, just a small deal that it's three. Three is this number of completion. He is completely. Um, being challenged here. And uh, so this is a nice image and he's pondering and he's wrestling with this, trying to figure out because why, why would God tell, he's probably thinking, why would God tell me to eat stuff that's, that's not, that's not kosher? Because the scriptures clearly say, do not eat this. I mean, we can go back into Leviticus and check out what the food law was. They, They are, they are clear as day. Don't eat them. It's an abomination don't eat that. It's a sin. Don't eat that. Don't eat that. Don't eat this. It's unclean. It makes you impure. And there is no doubt about it. There's no other way that you can read these passages. I mean, they are, they are just so clear. It's point after point after point. These are the clean animals. These are the unclean animals. Eat those. Don't eat these. There's no doubt. There's no question. It is what it is. And yet here's the divine or we're assuming the divine, we're assuming it's God's voice saying, rise, kill, and eat in contradiction of what is clearly stated in the scripture. So you can imagine if you were in Peter's shoes, you've never eaten any of these things. You've never had a nice, tasty, crispy slice of bacon. You know, you've never had just a delicious, tasty slice of Hawaiian pizza, right? You've never done it. You've never had ham. You've never had bacon. You've never had pork. You've never eaten anything that was unclean before not a thing. And he says, do it, eat it. What? Why? I mean, it would have sent, if we were in Peter's shoes, it would have sent our minds spiring too. It wouldn't have made any sense to us. And us, just like Peter probably would have been puzzling at it. We probably would have been wrestling with it. We probably would have been just like Peter wanting to sit there and trying to figure it out. Why is God contradicting himself? The scriptures are clear on this matter. It is settled. It is decided. There's no doubt about it. There were no rabbis debating at the city gates about whether or not you can have bacon. It it is just, it just, it was done. It was, there was no subtlety here. And so now, so then these guys show up. And so we, uh, so we pick up the story there. And uh, says, the next day, Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days." All right. So, uh, let's see here. So you get this, um, you get this sense, uh, you know, the sense from Peter that he is, uh, he is just, uh, (laughs) he, he's just got so much attitude, right? Um, and it is this like, you know, I'm Peter. D- you should just be so blessed. Like the old the old Peter shows up, old arrogant Peter, who takes his foot and inserts it into his mouth and he is he is full on display here. He's just like, I am so great. You are so blessed um, that I am here. I I came without raising any objection. It is just kind of this whole, uh, this this whole thing, like he is he is so looking down on them, those dirty dirty Gentiles, um, and uh, how kind of me that I, I have you know come here and set foot in your home. Oh, aren't you so blessed to have me, Peter, amongst you? Uh, I mean, it's just <laughs> it's just crazy, and I love I love his lip service like to his um, to his vision right? Oh, God has shown me that I shouldn't call things impure, unclean. It's, it's all this, all this ego. Um, and, uh, so as, as, as he goes on, um, you know, Cornelius is just kind of like, uh, yo, I know you're a holy dude, uh, but check this, God spoke to me too. And, And then in verse 34, Peter began to speak and he says, I now realize, I now realize. Now this, this idea here of, I now realize the weight of that word kind of gets lost in translation. This I now realize is probably more akin to something like Eureka, or as a friend of mine who preached this once, one time said, it's like Shazam. It's like this, like my buddy Todd has said, it's the old Waller two by four. It is the old Peter two by four, right upside Peter's head. After he hears Cornelius tell him tell him this, it's like God, you know, this this heavenly two by four came down and smacked him upside the head. He's like, oh, oh, now I see. Now I feel like I understand. It's, it's, it's. It's like you must have almost been in the room to see Peter just finally kind of get it, right? Like this was, this is probably what it's like when you're when you're with somebody and and the light bulb goes off. It's like a whole body kind of thing. We've all been around those people. Um, when you're talking to somebody and they're not understanding and uh and then all of a sudden they they get it and it's just like boom this huge this huge moment now i realize now i see what's going on how true it is that god does not show favor to anyone but he accepts from every nation the one who fears him like this is this is such a big big moment and so it's this is just this is so huge because you have to understand, in the scriptures up to this point, uh, there was, you know, there, there's Jew and Gentile, us and them. Now all those, all those people who were not Jewish were them. The Samaritan, with the Samaritans, things were mixed up, right? Like they were a mixed group. They were, they were sort of us and sort of not us. Uh, we kind of hated them, so we hated them a lot, but. But they were; they still had Jewish blood. So there was this like, but so there was this very clear line between Jew and Gentile. And what happens here? And I love the way that that Luke rolls with this. Um, is is he says, you know, so there's some circumcised believers, uh, the the Jewish guys who were with Peter uh, were just astonished by this whole thing. They were amazed. They were blown away that even the Gentiles. Got the Holy Spirit. They were accepted by God. They were they. They got to be forgiven. Even those guys. No way. How? Like how? How does this happen? They were completely blown away. And so it's this interesting moment. It is this big moment. And and so like we've had other big moments. We had uh, stories like you know Philip, who kind of did the thing, right? He's, um, he's, he's doing stuff. And so they sent Peter and John to go and, and breathe on the people, those kinds of little moments. But here, it's, it's Peter and this group of circumcised believers. We don't know how many, uh, but there was a group of other Jewish believers that had come with Peter. And so this moment is just so significant. And what's also significant is remember when the Samaritans received the Holy Spirit. Remember what happened there. Peter and John, uh, you know they had they had they had come down, and uh, and and they, and they pray and they had to pray and they and they breathed on them and the Holy Spirit shows up. But here, this is just like Pentecost. Boom! The Holy Spirit shows up while Peter is preaching. It is totally a God thing. We can't even begin to put our hands around how big of a moment. This is, this is transformational. This changes the entire trajectory of the entire mission of the church because now it is no longer just Jewish folks. Now it's everybody folks, it's all the people. The mission now is everywhere. The search, it, it, it is now totally and utterly inclusive of all humanity. This is radical and it's bigger and more significant than I think we can possibly wrap our minds around and it speaks to, to every age of the church. This Acts 10 thing just keeps coming back around over and over and over again because in every generation, in every age, in every era, we can probably take a look at humanity and say, oh, well, there's a Gentile. Those are the Gentiles. Those are, are the people that that when they trust Christ, you go, oh, got to have a crew to witness it. Got to see it. Otherwise, no one's going to believe this, right? Like there are those people you know in one era it's it's black folks you know in another area it's the irish folks in another era it's you know can the catholic folks get saved to the protestant it's you know you know can to the catholic folks can the protestants get saved to the protestants it's can the catholics get saved pick you just pick the thing that it, it every in every age there is a gentile there is some other and this begs the question: Who's our Gentiles now? Who is it? Who is the community of people that we are like? Oh yeah, uh, I never know. Like no way. Like there's no way that those people are going to get saved. No shot. Like for instance, I think everybody in this room um, uh, probably knows who Rick Warren is. He was the the pastor at Saddleback Church, one of the largest churches in America, and. Uh, you know, and during during one of the, the campaigns, uh, he he had the Democratic presidential candidate uh, to to his church to do a town hall meeting, and he got absolutely lambasted. I mean, he got absolutely rocked by by the conservative Christians because he gave this guy a platform. Now we did the Republican too. Um but man. And, and maybe you've got like one of my favorite authors a guy named Donald Miller, Follower of Jesus. He did a prayer um you know at the Democratic National Convention and he got hammered. I you know so so maybe our gentile is democrat, you know? Maybe it's Republican. I don't know. Like who are your gentiles? Uh so Maybe maybe the Gentiles are, are are the political spectrum. Maybe it's it's on the political spectrum that you find the the us versus them. You know, maybe it's maybe it's homosexuals. There's no way they can't be saved. No way. What? There's no there's nobody like like we look at them and go, there's no way they can be saved. Maybe they're the other. Maybe they're the Gentiles. But here's the thing. There is nobody. Who we can look at in this world because of Acts chapter ten and say, "Well, they're unforgivable. They've got no shot. There's no God's, no no God's grace for them," you know, um, because if at the heart of Acts chapter ten is the reality that there is nobody outside of God's grace, there is nobody that can run and hide from God's grace, and so because in in Acts chapter 10, what we see is that God's grace is available to all, for all, to forgive all. There is, there is no favoritism. There is nobody who gets it, nobody who doesn't get it. And, you know, they had split. Remember, they had split the world into two kinds of people, Jew and Gentile. So the Jews would have been a very small part population of the people, Gentiles were pretty much the rest of the world, and up until Acts chapter ten, in Peter's mind, the vast majority of the world had no chance at forgiveness. And then Acts chapter ten comes, and boom—the whole world can receive forgiveness. The whole world can finally be made right. The whole world can, is, is part of the body of Christ, and all they have—all I have to do is trust Christ. That's it. Just trust Christ. You don't see anything else happening here. It's just a bunch of Gentile Romans. Who heard and responded in faith and trusted in the Christ? They trusted in Jesus. What happens? The Holy Spirit falls on them. So even the Jewish guys who who are are just they're just left in awe. So who is the gospel for? Is it who is it? Is it for is it for you? Is it for our church? Is it for our denomination? Who are those people that are like, yeah, no chance? God absolutely cannot forgive them. Who is it? I feel like this is the application to like the last five or six sermons, but this is just what's here and we have to wrestle with it. It is that big of of a deal. Look at social media, look at the news, just listen to some people talk. And this is just as much of an issue now as it was 2000 years ago, because we love us versus them. We love being able to know that we're better. We love to be kind of be like Peter, where it's like, oh, you're blessed to have me amongst you because I am a follower of Jesus. And I have all the answers. We love that. We love being in Peter's shoes. And Peter, you know, (laughs) and Peter is just this whole like Oh my! And Peter has that moment. That oh my gosh, I get it now. Do we get it yet? Two thousand years later, I don't. I don't. I don't know if we do. I don't know. How. There are bajillion commentaries on Acts, and all of them are going to say the accept the exact same thing. I read them from liberal to conservative, and they all say the same thing about Acts chapter ten. It is about how Peter is blown away by the reality that Jesus even died for the Gentiles. So, who are your Gentiles? If you sit there thinking, uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't have any. You're a liar. You are. I have them. I, I don't. I don't like talking about it. But I wrestle with it and I struggle with it because I don't want that to be true of me. It is buried deep down in a dark place that I don't talk about at parties. But I have Gentiles and I have to look in the mirror and I have to name it and I have to face it. And so do you. And probably what's going to happen is that God is going to put whoever that is in your path in your life and you are going to have an amazing opportunity to accept them, to love them, to show them Jesus. And you're going to get to do it in humility because you're probably going to be standing there and it's going to hit you like a brick and you're going to go, wow, I get it now. I get it. So man, you got to be ready for it. You got to be ready because we love, we love, we love putting people in their categories. We love saying us versus them. We love that. All of this other stuff we, we, that goes along with all that all that matters is, is following Jesus. So if we're really gonna be a people who follow Jesus, if we're really um, gonna, gonna do this thing, then then we we have to take we have to take a deep hard look who is our us versus them? Who are the bad people? Who are the bad people that we think are destroying the country, destroying the world, destroying the church, destroying this, destroying that, whatever it might be. Is it is it us versus them? Or are you beginning to see grace everywhere? Are you beginning to see beauty everywhere? Are you beginning to see how God is at work in all these different places? Because God is at work all over the place, which is why I think that, you know, <laughs> it, 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 later on in the scriptures, Paul tells us to set our minds on things that are good and beautiful because when you set your mind on gospel, uh, things, you begin to see the good and the beautiful. And then we are gonna be able to out live out Acts chapter 10. We're gonna be able to do that so much. So I encourage you this week to spend some time wrestling with X 10, wrestle with it, stare at it, and ask yourself, who's my Gentile? Who's my them? Who's my group of people that I absolutely am convinced that God will not accept, that God cannot forgive, and that will feel sure, without a doubt, be absolutely condemned? Because you know what? When you walk through the pearly gates, those are the people that you're going to be most surprised to see. And better to be surprised here than there, folks. It's better to be surprised here than there.